You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A bonus episode and a little bit of a somber note here on today's Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at LockedOnPHXSuns. You can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Talking today about the passing of Paul Westfall at age 70 here on Saturday, January 2nd, after he was diagnosed with brain cancer back in August. Uh, Bringing on to discuss all of that in the bonus episode today, uh, Bob Young, formerly of the Arizona Republic, as well as The Athletic, the past couple of seasons. He covered the Suns during Paul Westfall's coaching tenure and was as plugged in as anybody in Valley Sports for, I think he said on the podcast, 30, 40 years. So many of you will know Bob. I had the pleasure of getting to know him covering these games the past couple of seasons while he was with The Athletic and getting to pick his brain and hear some of these stories, um, not necessarily about Westy, but just the career that he had. So nobody better to come on and talk about Paul Westfall, and that is just what we did. I just wanted to give a quick perspective from myself at the top of the show here. Um, You know, I, I tweeted this out on my account when I heard about the news, but the thing that stood out to me was that how sort of lucky and um, kind of strangely timed it was that so many of us spent the spring last year revisiting a lot of uh, our team's best moments. That was what a lot of sports coverage pivoted to in the spring last year after the NBA shutdown, especially, and that, you know, we ranked teams, best of lists, all-time lists, all of that type of stuff. On this show, we did two or three uh, best team ever weeks where we talked about a couple episodes, two, three episodes about the 75-76 team, if I remember. No, we did the 92-93 team, and then we did the 05-06 team. Jack McCallum came on. Greg Esposito came on. Should have had Bob on, um, but... With all of that, you know, we wrote about a lot of those. With all of that stuff said, you know, we got to think and watch and remember and talk about all of these historical teams. And um, I think personally, I feel pretty lucky that that happened last year, especially in the lead up to um, Paul Westfall passing, because I probably wouldn't have had as much of an appreciation for his career and his legacy here as I do now, having revisited a lot of that and written and talked about it. So um, I hope there's other younger fans and followers of the league and, and the Suns like myself who kind of had that serendipity happen for them um, and that there are people who are now, you know, sort of encouraged to talk and share stories and and, and memories of, of Westy's career with the Suns and outside of Phoenix and just, you know, that it's another reminder of, you know, what, what, what fandom can be and what a person can mean to a community. And of course, you know, whenever somebody passes, you know, we're all going to think about our own loved ones and all of the rest. So I'm sure that's in many of your heads, but 
I wanted to revisit Westfall's career, legacy, and all of that as well here for you to give you a little bit more. And so, again, I brought on Bob Young. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Bob, remembering Paul Westfall, who died Saturday at the age of 70, and his uh, memory is, is kept alive by his wife, who, who, who chronicled so much of his, reco- or his recovery or uh, you know treatment this summer and uh, organized meetups with so many of these sons' legends, Monty Williams visited, Chuck, Kevin Johnson... Dan Marley, even Tom Leander, Julie Fye, who works in the communications department. So many people paid their visit to Paul while he was dealing with the brain cancer diagnosis. And if that's not evidence of how much this guy meant to the Valley and to this team and this franchise, I don't know what is. So um, he hardly needs more of a tribute, but here is ours on Locked on Phoenix Suns with Bob Young. All right, here for a quick conversation with Bob Young, who covered the Phoenix Suns and Valley Sports for the Arizona Republic for how many years, Bob? Uh, 36 years uh, in sports and 13 years on the Suns. There we go. I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah, roughly 13. Yeah. There we go. So felt like the right person to talk to with the passing of Paul Westfall. Um, You know, I, I kind of felt like, his diagnosis with, with cancer earlier this year, you know, nobody would be um, blamed for missing or, or not spending enough time thinking about it because so much else happened this year, but um, you know, very sudden, I think, um, you know, August, I think is when he was diagnosed and and to already be gone, very quick end for him, unfortunately. But um, you know, what, what do you what, what were you kind of thinking about as you saw the news today, knowing that he was getting close to the end, but obviously, you know, a guy who accomplished a ton here in the Valley and, and in, throughout his career? Yeah, you know, I guess I guess, uh, um, you know, as you say, it was it was something that you knew was coming. And so I wasn't shocked when I, you know, when I saw it, it was one of the it's not like you were expecting it every day or looking for it every day, but you knew it was inevitable. And uh you know, my first thoughts were just of, uh, you know, what a genuinely nice guy he was and uh, how much fun he was to cover and also how much he um, he understood uh, our profession, the media. He really, he kind of liked the give and take. And, um, you know, my my memories of him are, are of, you know, back in those days uh, when I covered, I covered his four years that he was with the Suns. Uh, his four years as a head coach, I was only on the beat for a, just starting on it when he was in, an assistant coach. But, um, you know, he was uh, – back then, they – you know, the, the coach's office was open before the game. You know, there was no – nobody was hanging a banner up behind and, you know, you know, a big scrum. It was more – it was just more of a conversation, uh, particularly pregame and, you know, occasionally – uh, after practice or something like that, you, you could just go in and sit in his office and there were couches around and, you know, he, he had stuff on the, on the board, you know, usually had some funny quote or something on there. I remember mm-hmm. his office, he had a, a Sparky Anderson quote that, that was up there that uh, I think it was something like, uh, you know, if you have a team that 
that wants to win, you got to let them. Or if you got a group that wants to win, you got to let them. So basically his, that was his philosophy, like just kind of stay out of their way, you know, give them, give them, you know, uh, motivate them through competition as opposed to like punishment and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, he had a player's mentality. He had played, he knew how hard it was to practice sometimes. And, uh, so, you know, he was, you know, people talk about a player's coach and sometimes that can be as much of, as an, of an insult as it is a compliment, but he was, he understood the players and, uh, and, and I think he tried to make, I tried to, he tried to make basketball fun, which is what he, that was his approach to it when he played, uh, when he coached as a dad for, you know, his son, Michael was a pretty good player. And, uh, that was, you know, he just, he just thought it should be fun. Yeah. There was a clip going around of his famous sort of twisting jump shot that feels like only I've ever seen him do, um, just the kind of the weird way that he felt the game as a player, uh, weird in a good way, just sort of, uh, so specific to his own style. And I think there's probably not a word that's more synonymous with those nineties teams than fun. You know, I think they were kind of ahead of their time in terms of the looseness and the, the three point shooting and all of that stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans now that, that are fans because of those squads. So, um, that's, that's, uh, you know, it's interesting when you, to talk to you and hear you kind of match it to what my perception is having, you know, not been around for any of that, but I'm, uh, I'm curious to, um, one thing I was thinking about today was just, you know, a guy who's one of the only people who can lay claim to being part of both finals teams that this franchise has been part of. And I, I guess, you know, one of the things that I don't have a good understanding of is what that transition was like from cotton to him. And what do you remember of how he approached taking over uh, for another coach who's quite beloved here and was a longtime coach for the franchise? Yeah. You know um, it was, I think it was a pretty easy transition. Surprisingly, number one, I think cotton uh, having been a coach obviously uh, and been through good situations and bad situations during his career, including being fired by the Suns <laughs> yeah. once upon a time, you know, uh, he got out of the way. He, he let, he let Paul be Paul. And I think right from the beginning, Cotton made Paul comfortable with that transition. And, uh, and, you know, Paul had been his assistant for four seasons prior to that. And Cotton didn't want to be coach anymore. You know, he was, he was ready to do something different. In fact, when he ended up coming back to replace Paul, uh, you know, he, he finished that, that season when Paul was, was, uh, fired. And then, you know, he coached eight games into the next season and he was like, get me out of here. You know, he did not, he, he, he yeah. just, he wasn't into it. So, um, you know, yeah, it was, it, I'm, I'm sure there was a little bit of discomfort there, but it was such a, you know, it was such a, uh, everything was different that year. It was a new building, you know, it was, it was Charles, uh, it was, it was Paul. So it all kind of, it kind of fit that, you know, that was the time to make that change. What, another thing you were talking about empowering players kind of through competition and fun and all that. And it makes me wonder, you know, you know, you were around the team the past couple of years as well for the athletic. And I would imagine you're still a fan of the NBA and, and follow it and everything else. Like, What's different about how coaches coach star players 
now versus then? Because it feels like that's one of the biggest things that's changed about the league. So I'm curious how Westfall handled Chuck and those guys compared to what you see nowadays where, you know, not to pick another Suns coach, but like Mike D'Antoni, the way he coached Harden feels very, very different from how things would have been once upon a time. You know, I guess it, I think it really just depends on the coach. You know, I think, um, you know, I don't think you can throw a blanket over it. I think, I think Paul was unique. You know, the thing about Paul, he was a creative player. You know, you talked about his pirouette. That was kind of his signature, that little pirouette. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was the guy that won the, uh, the NBA back in the day. They had a, uh, they had a uh, uh, horse competition that they would play at halftime oh, during yeah. their national broadcast. And it was all pre-recorded, uh, but he won that, you know, he was just, he was such a creative guy. Well, he, he was a, he was a creative coach. He did not believe in like, this is the way you do it. He was willing to try different things. He was willing to listen to what somebody else thought might work. You know, that's kind of the way he was. He was a very open-minded guy. Uh, and, you know, so I think if, you know, I think there are still probably guys that are, that have that open-minded approach. Uh, I don't, I think, I think it'd be easier to, to be Paul Westfall now than it would be to be Pat Riley. I think, I think it's, I think it'd be, you know, Paul was ahead of his time, if anything. Another clip that was going around online in the aftermath of the news was of him in a, one of the, the sons did a big video series around the 50th anniversary, I think, um, with the stories of the franchise called like Sid 68 or something like that. And there was a clip of him uh, telling the story of the playoff series against the Trailblazers where he called the play that Barkley caught the ball off the backboard, like an yep. intentional missed pass that hit off the backboard to Barkley for the, for the game winning shot. And yep. that, that feels like an exam. Nobody would, it feels like no one else would have done that. Well, there's there, you know, it's funny because when I was, you know, I knew I was going to talk to you The the two things that really jump out at you, uh, the one that he's most famous for, of course, is when he was a player and he he told John McLeod to use a timeout that the Suns did not have, knowing that they would call a technical and uh, the Celtics that in the Celtics uh, triple overtime game in the finals yeah. in 1976. So, uh, you know, that was that's the one he's probably most famous for was making that suggestion and work, you know, led to Gar, Gar Herd's shot heard around the world and you know, in the, in the game that they ultimately lost, but uh, yeah. And then the other example was that exact play, you know, that was, that was Paul Westfall. He was willing to try that. And what, and he had, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that he, the reason he did that, he had one of the best passing centers in the league, even though he was a rookie in Oliver Miller. And because Oliver was, you know, a big guy and he had extremely long arms, he knew he could, even if the inbounds was challenged, Oliver could get a pass off. And so he drew up a play to have Oliver, he told him, throw it off the backboard. And the, you know, the, I believe, if I remember correctly, the plan was actually that Cedric Sabalos would tip it in. Like Cedric was supposed to slice in there and tip it in. And so uh, the pass was perfect. I mean, it ricocheted mm-hmm. right off the backboard. And Cedric, I can't remember if Cedric got blocked off or just couldn't get there or whatever, something, but it, it came right to Charles. It ricocheted to Charles and kind of scooped it up and threw it up at the basket and went in, you know, 
And uh, the other part of that play that people forget, though, is that Charles and uh, Kevin Johnson came running together and jumped into each other's, or, you know, Kevin jumped into his arms. Yeah. Uh, but Kevin injured his knee. And that was why he oh missed goodness. the first two games of the finals, uh, or the first two games of the, uh, I guess it was the first two games of the Lakers series. Mm-hmm. And they damn near lost in the first round after that great season. They almost lost to the, to the uh, eighth seed in the yeah. in the West, the Lakers. Yeah. They ended up winning Game Five, I think, in overtime. And I that's when he. Game. That was the other moment that people were bringing up today. Is then he calls their oh, shot yes. and, and yes. they they come back the to guarantee. win that series. Yeah, yeah, the guarantee. And that was yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That was you know, I mean, obviously they still had to do it. And uh, uh, the fact that the funny thing about that is it again. People forget they actually won the two games in LA. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was they came back for game five and, and darn near lost again <laughs> at home. It was uh I think Byron Scott had a pretty good look and Danny Ainge might have fouled him uh mm. on, on a shot that would have won it. I miss those. It feels like the five game was more fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. unrelated to to Westy, but yeah, uh, it feels like the five game series had way more uh, moments in it than the first round these days, but well, there was, yeah, there was a bigger, there was a better chance of an upset just because yeah. it's hard for a, a, a lesser team to win four games. You know, it was easier to exactly. win three. Just and you're back home, you know, right. you get two out of five, you know, that's, you're doing pretty well, you know, relatively right. speaking. So, yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, those stories and the flood of, tributes that were sort of pouring in Danny Ainge tweeted, you know, we, we got quotes, a quote from Jerry Colangelo in the sun statement, just the kind of the, the, just the magnitude of, of the, the impact that he had in the league and in this, in this town and he's in the ring of honor. And so all of that is, is not going anywhere, but just to see it again, kind of how many people he touched is it's, it's just, I don't know, maybe for somebody like me being so young, it's um, just, sort of overwhelming to, to think that he had such an impact the way that he did. But um, with all that said, I mean, is there anything, anything you wanted to to say before we go here or, you know, thoughts that, that you're kind of having turnover in your head today? Well, you know, um, gosh, you know, he was just, uh, you know, to me, he was just a good soul. He was a, uh, he had the ability to forgive people. He was, um, you know, one of his best friends in, uh, in, you know, as a coach was uh, Lionel Hollins, his assistant coach. And he ended up firing Lionel and they kind of had a falling out. And, and yet then, you know, years later, he was, he served as Lionel's assistant coach. Now there's, it kind of, it kind of shows what, how little ego he had, you know, he, you know, he, he eventually apologized to Lionel for how he handled all that. And, you know, they became close again. And then Lionel asked him to be his assistant and he was, you know, he was absolutely up for it, which is, you know, a lot of guys wouldn't do that. Sure. Uh, you know, he was just, uh, you know, he was a very, he was honest, you know, to a fault. Uh, you know, he'd tell you what he thought. He'd tell you the truth. Uh, he was a truth seeker. You know, that's kind of the person he was. And, uh, you know, he, he did not like uh, deception and dishonesty and, you know, you were better off if you just told him, you know, the flat out truth. What, one of my, one of my favorite moments with him just as a, as a writer, I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but you know, he was always hilarious. I remember one time he, uh, they got blown out by somebody 
And uh, so he's sitting there, you know, and he's got the stat sheet and he looks at it. I think they'd lost by like, I don't know, 25 or 26 or something. He goes, well, we played him even in minutes. And he like wads it up and tosses it aside. You know, that was like his post game. You know, he was just a, you know, he, he had great percept, uh, uh, perspective. You know, he, he was, he did it for all the right reasons. That's, that's what I think of the guy. Yeah. The other thing that I guess I didn't say already that stuck out to me thinking back through his career and writing the post that I did for the website about him is just that he was a coach, an assistant coach in the league just four or five years ago, Yeah, you know, up yeah. until, you know, he's 60, 64, 65 years old and in Brooklyn with, you know, another group of guys and just at it again, like, you know, there's, and I guess it, you, you, you reminded me of it because you brought up Lionel Hollins, who's doing the same thing all these years later with the Lakers. He's still on a staff. Like some of these guys that you can tell it, it truly drives them and they, they don't want to be doing anything else with their sixties than to continue to be uh, a basketball coach. So yeah. Pe- um, and people forget like, you know, uh, Paul started out as a coach at a little Bible college in, mm-hmm. in Phoenix and took them to the little college, whatever it was, national, you know, tournament. Uh, then he, you know, he, he coached a national championship at Grand Canyon. Yeah. Uh, you know, he coached at Pepperdine. He was, he's, you know, he was a basketball lifer. He was one of those guys who just loved and he was a basketball genius. A great way to end. Thank you, Bob, for coming on and for uh, writing stories that I'm sure might get recycled this this, this <laughs> week as we think about him and all the rest. But uh, yeah, thank you. You bet. Glad to do it.